0: Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with Elizabeth Hamilton-Garino and Chris Fuller, helping you and people across the globe live life to the fullest. Our focus is on you, so you can be your best and create the life you deserve. Visit us at besteveryou.com you're an athlete or parent of an athlete, Joe Spurley, professional sports and baseball trailblazer and one of the top coaches in the nation, shares with you the roadmap to succeeding in your sport and avoiding the pitfalls through his 40 years of sports playing and professional coaching experiences and founding the Freedom Pro Baseball Minor League. So Joe is with us today to share compelling stories of success and an athlete's roadmap that will illustrate what it takes to play sports at the high school, college, and professional level, he's here with his new book, "Athletes' Guide to Success: A Roadmap to Becoming a Champion." Welcome, Joe, to the Best Ever You Show.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth. It's great to be on with you. I'm excited to share all the things in the uh, have uh, in the book, and and hopefully we can help a lot of uh, athletes continue to play sports and uh, have positive life developing experiences.
0: Well, I I have firsthand experience with you um, through all the wonderful things that you've done touching our life as a baseball family. So it's really special to see you put this book out into the world. How's it going so far?
1: It's been really good. We've got some really good uh, feedback, reviews. I really have uh, been happy with it. You know, I had a, a, a soccer mom that I I just talked with and she said she's really learned a lot from it. Uh on on her second child, the first child, she I think went down the wrong path, but uh she's real was real thankful for it. So it's 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 been really good. You know, my, my hope is that we can get this in as many athletes and parents, you know, it's just as much for parents to uh understand and read, you know, you Elizabeth as being a, a mom of of you know, athletes and boys and you've been uh, involved it, it's real important uh, I think to to be uh, you know educated and understand things that you can help uh, you know your child a uh, boy or girl yeah did you
0: say soccer I heard you say soccer in our baseball yeah. world <laughs> you
1: said yeah soccer. yeah she she she, uh, she actually actually said to me she was working at a bookstore where I was doing a signing and she she bought a couple And then later on after she read it she told me that if she had read that my book before her older daughter was down the soccer you know competitive traveling everywhere and spending you know money that she wouldn't have to work at the bookstore (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah, no and it it proves it's a it's a valid point there um you know we have four boys here and and we've done just about everything in every sport and uh, times have changed. So it's really neat that you've written this book to help us navigate. And uh, what we're gonna talk about today to everybody listening uh, is that uh, is to help really athletes and their parents understand what it takes to play sports at not only the high school level, but also the college and professional levels. Now, and we've got some other things we'll talk about too, but that that strikes a chord with me to help people play sports at the high school level. Isn't that just... uh, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. Isn't that just a given you can play in high school?
1: Yeah. You know, it, it, it used to be that way, but, but now it has become so competitive with a lot of tournament teams out there that they're, they're playing so much. So these schools have so many, you know, boys and girls come out for the sports. And uh, as I put in the book that, you know, 70% of boys and girls aged 13, 14 and older, are no longer playing the sports because of burnout, overuse injuries, too much pressure, not having fun, poor development coaching, uh, you know, which was really eye-opening for me. I, and I I witnessed that a lot doing a lot of individual, you know, pitching and hitting lessons and mentoring that I did with, you know, baseball players. But when I saw that by the National Alliance, by U Sports, and the NCAA had a similar study out there, I thought, you know, we need to really – change that in any way we can to you know continue to play and and you know have fun and and i think playing sports um you know the the, the fun has been taking out of it and and what really it was started four years ago you know and, and wanting to bring that back so i i i have seen a lot of uh, and heard a lot of stories of talented athletes that didn't even go out in high school they were they were so burnt out and tired of playing you know year round uh you know another another kind of fallacy and misunderstanding is is that you know you need to play more than one sport uh you know during the year and and you know the 2018 nfl draft uh 226 of the 259 players drafted all played um more than one sport as a youth and in high school
0: wow What's a, what's a well-rounded athlete to you? What's that, what's that mean? Like a well-rounded student athlete.
1: I think, I think number one, first is I've always, you know, coached and mentored is, is, you know, schoolwork, having a good, you know, academic study discipline skills first, and then having, you know, passion discipline and really, you know, have focus skills, high character have, have good, you know, self-esteem and, and be a good teammate you know if you're playing in team sports is, is you know a good athlete that's really you know and coachable that wants to learn and, and wants to listen that that's a very important thing that I think that parents and athletes need to understand is, is that you have to be very coachable and open-minded and, and understand and listen uh, because you know there's is, there is some statements you see out there that says if you if your child's uncoachable there's a good chance they're unhirable uh, you know which uh, that's a good I'm thing sure, you know
0: say that one more time if you if your child if, if,
1: if, you're, if your if your child is uncoachable there's a good chance in their adult life they will be unhirable that makes sense you know they will not they will not want to listen and and be supervised and learn and you know that that is a, a big part of, you know, as as I shared in the book, is, you know, the mentoring is a part that if an athlete is going down a road of not knowing the path, he's going down this, there's no map, and he's just following, you know, and the, and the mom or dad's following what they think is, is right, and um, not having somebody that truly has been down that path and cares and understands and can help guide you is is a very important thing that I can't stress that enough you know in the first chapter I talk about that and and the importance of having a mentor that really can lead you down and save you from those pitfalls because you know there's there's been great stories and there's great you know you know high school you know college tournament teams but there's also uh, a high amount of ones that aren't really in it for the athlete and it's more win at all costs and you know it's it's really detrimental to the to the athlete.
0: You see these these athletes in high school playing on summer teams spending thousands of dollars with camps and lessons and I'm sure you know more than I do I just kind of see mm-hmm. what I see right. <laughs> you know you can go on right. and on there. But um, is right.
1: that all really necessary? No, you know, that you're, you're better off at times to take a break and just get away from it to, instead of having burnout and, and overuse injuries. You know, there's, there's studies by the orthopedics, Dr. James Andrews, who does a lot of, you know, elbow and shoulder surgeries of, of baseball players from age all the way to the major leagues said that the 60 percent of his surgeries are age 13 to 18. And it's from overuse of playing year round uh, of baseball. And and I think that this, this, you know, protocol that, that is kind of out there in the the sports world is not true. A a good, really good analogy of that for the listeners. If you've ever heard of Stefan Curry is, is, is one of the top NBA players. Well, his dad played at Virginia tech and then was an NBA star. And then definitely didn't have any, nobody was recruiting him, not even Virginia Tech. So then um, his his uh, friends and teammates started playing on these AAU tournament teams and, and playing all these, you know, year round. And so his his dad, Dell, took him out of those and just had him play with you know with his dad and shoot and just work on his skills and and not you know being traveling around and spending all the time and 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 getting burnt out and he just the last two years of high school that's what he did other than playing a high school team and then davidson college was the only school to give him an opportunity and and now he becomes one of the greatest shooters ever to play in the nba and and his last two years in high school he never played on AAU in the protocol teams his dad was was wise enough and had you know understood it had been down the path obviously of being an NBA player and saw what was happening and and pulled them out of that and that that's an amazing story I mean anybody yeah, that's sure an is. NBA player he, Stephen Curry is is he can shoot the lights out I mean there's times that you can't stop him <laughs> so those those two years that he he just pra worked on his own skills of shooting with his dad rather than traveling all around worked and I think that that that's a great story.
0: Why are so many kid? I'll just say kids players whatever you want to call the term why are so many people overlooked like that?
1: I think what happens is, is that there, there's so many out there and the coaches really don't have the time they're, they're they're restricted on the amount of time that they can recruit they're so you know busy with their games and their practices um, there's so much coming at them that they're they're just you know, not being seen and recruited, you know, that, that's amazing when you think about an NBA son player and, and usually a, a, an alma, alma mater like Virginia tech, you know, big, big school would have, would have, would have signed Stephon just because his dad was a player and then went on and played in the NBA. But it, it's really is kind of a, a, a thing that parents need to understand. I, I, I hear a lot of times, you know, parents will say, you know, well, it it comes to a certain point, you know, when they're playing and then if they're good enough, you know, they'll they'll be found. You know, that that is a that is a you know, years ago that maybe was like that, but it's not like that anymore. There's just so many out there and you you have to be proactive and, and you have to really understand how to reach out. And I wrote a chapter about that in, in of of looking for colleges to play that fit your academic and your career that you want to play.
0: Do you think the climate out there is for the love of money or for the love of the sport and and playing? Why why are so many people so interested in playing um at the college levels or above what and and really realistically how many people make it to the pros?
1: Right, a very good question. Yes, I think I think that it is really taking sports to a level that is really Taking the fun out of it is is the 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 dollars the love of the money the you know the you know i i firmly believe you know a, a tournament team if you're if you're playing and developing and you're you're getting you know some some uh guidance on if your goal is to play in high school and college you know that those are great but as i wrote in the book i've seen many times where that isn't the case that it was a win at all costs it was a it was a coach that really had you know figured out that if i do five of these tournament teams and i have fifteen twenty players on a team and you know charging them x amount of dollars you know i I can have a lot of fun and then they a lot of them are dads and then their son they can write the lineup and control that and then they they end up uh, you know also you know having their unfulfilled days i put that in the book also that you know that we have to parents let their unfulfilled you know playing days go and just enjoy the time but i think that the, the number one thing seems to be in in my years of doing this and, and writing the book and study for the book was that they want a college scholarship because i think colleges become so expensive so they start to see these hear these stories that you know it, it really helps but if you don't have somebody that really is is guiding you and mention you've been down there I had players that I was doing you know when when these showcases really start coming about Elizabeth, in Elizabeth around 2000 when there was you know all these different organizations were, were coming up with these these showcases that they were advertising that there was going to be college recruiters there there was going to be professional scouts and I started to go to a few of them and and some of these players I was I was uh, given instruction that I remember one went to, we went for one in San Diego. He was like a, you know, four old student. And he, he was, he pitched a perfect game, you know, was, was set a school record went 11 and one uh, and ended up at the showcase, got a piece of paper that was basically like a, like a college or a professional trial evaluation that pitched in, you know, down the bullpen and had a radar gun readings and, and he, his dad went went all over it, even to some of the colleges that he wanted to go to. And and at the end of his, uh, before his senior year, he had no offers. And they probably had spent well over twenty thousand dollars at least just traveling around with these showcases. So I, I made a call to Cal Lutheran recruiting coordinator, and they they ended up signing him. And he went over there, you know, and played. So, so it 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 seems that there's too much dangling of the carrot that's creating this that they need to understand that sports is about life developing experiences and learning you know skills and and not having the number one goal while your your child's playing sport is to get a college scholarship or to get that professional contract where you have these high signing bonuses i I mean it's it's a great goal to have but when you solely are just thinking of that and i think a lot of parents are putting pressure i've heard stories and i've been around hearing parents say you know we've put a lot into this you better make sure and get a college scholarship that type of pressure Gosh. does not work yeah that plus,
0: that uh, sorry <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say do no, go ahead plus you, plus you can have spent your college scholarship traveling around you know by the time exactly. you get there you know you're 40 grand in the hole with, <laughs> with whatever it is
1: right that you've tried to you get know, everybody's
0: attention for it just it makes no sense to me
1: Right. You're better off to put it into a fund and just have them, you know, your son or daughter just, you know, playing, you know, two, three sports and just, you know, playing in whether it be, you know, club or high school or, you know, some some city community leagues. I think we need to bring back these city community leagues where there's, there's you know, great, you know, friendships are built, camaraderie. They, you know, they go to snack bar. It doesn't matter what, you know, when they're younger, they win or lose they afterwards they go have a, have a snow cone or you know i i think that i'd really like to see that i've been helping promote some of these community leagues because some of the tournament teams are telling the the boys and girls and their parents that they shouldn't play in these leagues that they need to play in these tournament teams and play in these tournaments in order if they want to play in high school and college which that saying that is is totally the, the numbers prove it that it's it's just very rarely works when you when you do that
0: Yeah, we did a little bit of the AAU type summer leagues, but, you know, um, our can mostly played legion and got the legion scholarship and everything. So there's a lot of things locally that I think people overlook.
1: Right, that that legion was a great program. And it's it, it still is going in certain smaller areas like like you you mentioned, and and they need to bring that back more, uh, you know, and things to where it's more of a community, you know, like, you know, Little League, you know, Pop Warner, there's, you know, YMCA basketball. Yeah, there's all these, these good, you know, community youth organizations that really are a good, a good place to have your son or daughter, you know, play sports and really develop and have a lot of fun. You know, I think the fun has been taken out of it, you know, and about age 14, 15 is when they start to feel that. And, you know, unfortunately, I've, I've had, I've had some, you know, parents that just really, unfortunately, cry because their son or daughter says, I'm done playing. And that's, we want to stop that from happening. You know, that's one of the reasons was put in, you know, my email address and my website is to, you know, don't let your son or daughter quit playing sports because of a bad, uh, you know, situation. Just, you know, email me or, you know, let me know. and, And we can talk through that because I've helped a lot you know that that were cut you know and that quit and one that I share in the book that was is a, is a real compelling story of a, a very talented uh you know young man that that loved the game that he always said he wanted to be a professional player and in junior year of high school he he was cut and it it hit him t- so hard that he didn't want to go to school he wanted to quit school and and his mom said you 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 know talked him into and called me and asked he she, she made him go work after school at a subway and and to just to share with the parents that, that this can happen he was so upset that he didn't even want to talk about baseball standing line ordering the sub and he's like nope coach i'm done and then I, i'm like i knew he had an exceptional thing i had trained him when he was 12 13 14 and then he veered off on these tournament teams and didn't come back and then he went and played in high school his freshman sophomore year and then he got cut his junior year and the thing it took me the third time, Elizabeth, till he finally sat down, took his break. I asked him, and I said, "Look, so we can't let one man stop you from making a decision if if your dream has been to play professional baseball." And he he said, "Let me think about it." He texted me a few days later. We set a time to go on the field, and and we started playing catch, and it it was like as he had just has a whole new life. His smile came back, he it was all that and we drew up a throwing program for him and, and we worked with him weekly, gave him, you know, homework and uh that summer we got him on a call a team and he hadn't touched the ball in two years. Got him on a summer collegiate team and uh just the coach I called him and said, he said, What does he need? I said, he just needs innings. I said he hasn't thrown two two years and I said I know you're the type of guy that you're not going to go out there to win this summer league he said no I'm not in it for that and I said well that's why he'll be a great fit and he ends up I remember his mom called uh, said the umpire just turned after he struck out eight and two innings and said uh three innings said is anybody videotaping this and these were college players that were at home for the freshman sophomore and junior year and, and he hadn't touched the ball and and it was incredible to see. And, and then I went and got him a tryout with a community college. He, he signs there and becomes an all-star and goes to Utah Valley, division one school and, and has a flies around. Uh, opening weekend, he flies to USC, hmm. the number one uh, baseball World Series championship school in, the, in you know in the United States. Flies in there uh, from from uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, comes in a sixth inning, gets out gets out of the jam then they, they they win it, he goes back, flies back to Utah, they fly to Sacramento. He starts the game against University Stockton, gets his first his first win. He he goes on and and just flies all over the country in and, and uh, gets a four year education has zero debt. Yeah. Beautiful. Had I not stopped into that subway those times, he would have probably went to University of Arizona, Arizona State, got a business degree like he has now, probably had eight hundred thousand dollar debt, never had, had ever touched a baseball game
0: that's amazing and and is he someone who you know to, what's his take on the book and his experience with you and all those things and has yeah. where is he now
1: yeah he 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 right now is working he he was we were looking at things for him he unfortunately a senior year he started to to uh have some control issues, and this is another thing that I, that I address in the book. He's another example of when when you have a son or daughter that's playing a sport in college, um, always remember that sometimes these college coaches don't have the ability to develop or fix the problem, like in his case, he was having issues of being able to get his fastball and his changeup over and it was just things that I could have straightened out with him, but the, his mom and dad kind of thought that, well, that he's at college now. We'll just They should be able to fix him. So you, you really have to if, – if somebody that you've worked with, your child has worked with, even though they go to college, they should still, when they have time, if they come home or in, in the off season, do instruction with them because he was a prime example of that because his two years at Utah Valley – he he did okay his first year. Second year, he just hit a wall, and, and I was at one game, and I tried to tell him a little bit after the game on the sideline, but I, I needed to spend about two hours with him, and unfortunately, he ended up kind of just lost control in, in his stats. And yep. So, uh, it, it, uh, it yeah, it's a great – it's a, a big thing to remember that. But I think I, some parents have said, well, if I send him to college, I shouldn't have to have, you know, somebody doing personal instruction with him, but that that's not true. Because it, there, is, there is times that, you know, it, it takes a lot. And a lot of times coaches just look at players in the overall picture and they don't have experience, like in this case, to help him be able to, you know, be, throw strikes. You know, the, the co- both coaches just couldn't fix them.
0: Well, I think the other key sentence there is, I sent you to college. <laughs> you know, if you've got all your right. – if you're at college and you have put all your eggs into the baseball – you know basket you could be kind of missing some of the point
1: right exactly it's it's about an education and, and it's you know of, of preparing for yourself that for life. right yeah all of his all of his friends and and uh ex-teammates that he played with since he's five a lot of them I, I followed them they they ended up veering off and and not coming back for instruction and went and played in term teams and some played in high school and some didn't and very few played in college he was one of the very few and this was a talented group that he was both little leagues in the area where he grew up that the one that i talk about in the book went all the way to san bernardino in the semifinals in the western region and lost to hawaii hawaii went on and won the u.s little league uh, world championship yeah so these kids were very talented and that Hawaii team I did a study on them because we were going to go over and do a camp in Hawaii Gil Patterson Oakland A's pitching coordinator because the first baseman's coach dad wanted us to come over because they don't get a lot of uh, you know being off the mainland these kids were talented and and, uh, the the president of the league uh, kind of stopped it unfortunately and uh, I followed these kids who were super talented and two of them played uh, in college out of that whole group of, of Hawaii too so so there's there's those times that you still need to be developed, and you need to have proper coaching. And even though they excelled and won the Little League World Series at age 12, uh, that really is eye-opening that only two play college baseball. Wow!
0: So if you just joined us, yeah. we're talking with Joe Spurley. He's the author of Athlete's Guide to Success: A Roadmap to Becoming a Champion, and he's with us here to answer all of our questions about playing sports at various levels, such as high school, college, and, and pro. And uh, you've got so much information here. It's such a great book. So thank you for being with us. We're gonna keep going here. And one of the questions we have for you is what's your why? Why do you do what you do? What's your love of baseball? Why do you, why do you love baseball so much? What's your, what's your story?
1: <laughs> I think, I think for me, it was a, it was a, a, a big passion, you know, that I developed at age five, you know, really baseball, basketball, and football. I, I you know, I was always outside, um, you know, playing those sports uh, was something that it just really was able to naturally, it came to me and I, I really had a great, you know, time's playing that and then you know after losing my mom you know finding her past at age 11 and my dad already had some diabetes issues and some ptsd issues from world war ii plus i later you know didn't know at the time found out his mom died when he was six and he had uh, two two uh, older brother had appendicitis and, and died and two younger sisters that died um so he had a lot of, of uh, childhood trauma and then his dad uh, at age 21, when he was 21, and my dad, his, my grandfather uh, had remarried because his first wife had died and had eight kids. They had 17 kids and then he uh, he got bit by a mosquito and they didn't know, you know, thought it was the flu and it ended up being, you know, uh, encephalitis and he passed. So my dad was supposed to take over this huge farming operation and then he got drafted to World War II. So the whole bottom fell out of it, but that, that was a lot of passed on dysfunctionalism that Uh, I wasn't aware of that at the time and and losing my mom. And then my dad pretty much had a lot of, you know, war issues and diabetes and became disabled. And so for me, it was, it was a big part of uh, my safe haven was being on the baseball fields, you know, the basketball courts and the football field to where I could really, you know, focus and, and not think about, you know, those, uh, you know, those trauma childhood uh, having to deal with, you know, the, the, the parents losing my parents. It was a, it was a huge thing that I I was able to block out and really um, was, you know, too traumatic that I couldn't even deal with it. Uh, There was times I remember reading books. I finally started to, you know, deal with it, but you know, it's always been a, a, a great part of my life. So, you know, as, as we all have life journeys and we have lessons, you know, just like you, Elizabeth, you're doing with some of your, you know, things with your peanut allergies we we all go down a a path that for it's been a passion of mine to use my experience because I I really of all the sports I played I had three good coaches I talk about in that and and it's there's a shortage of coaches that know how to identify develop and lead athletes in today's world that that's a very important thing that parents should understand and and I, I really kind of just you know been on a mission to to do that and, and be that coach that can uh, you know I think a great uh, way to say is a, an excellent coach is hard to find, difficult to part with, and impossible to forget.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I love that. And yeah. and um, how do you how do you spot a a bad coach? <laughs> you know, because you might not you know as parents we might not see that, or a child might not see that coming into a program. How do you, you know, right. how do you, how do you see that or spot it? there are
1: there things you're supposed to look for? Yeah, right. I, I wrote about some of the things in the book. One, one of the a few of the things that really tip it off is is when they really have a demeanor when they step on the field that they turn into somebody that's really a different person than what you see, and they, you can see that they're, that they're driven to win, and, they, and they're really not thinking. Of the players, and then when they start saying, you know, my team won, and then they start, you know, in the and when you get points, they start saying we're number three in the in the state, and you know, and it ends up being you can see where it's it's more of their fulfillment. You got to really watch and, and understand, and if they aren't really playing uh, players a certain way, and they're just putting a, you know, person to pitch every game or catch. And they're, and they're not your, your son or daughter is not having fun. Make sure you communicate with them to understand. And you you get to you get to know and watch these coaches because you know it it it's a sometimes it's hard to figure out, but then sometimes you do. And then some parents are like, you know, they don't want to you know make a change. They don't want to kind of uproot and and you know for whatever reason. And I say that you're the one that has to make the decision here because your child doesn't know you know they maybe know a little bit but now you've got to see what's happened here and you need to you know either have a talk with the coach or find another team you know that that I think is is a very good question Elizabeth, because I think a lot of times parents are having one of these teams and and it's happening in all sports and they don't really know that things are happening until it's it's kind of too late where the, the child says I'm no longer playing and You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of false hope at times that's giving that they need to understand uh, when somebody's saying, you know, you know, well, play on my team and I'll 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 get you a college scholarship. Uh, You know that that should never be. All you know, over 300 I help. I've never once said that you should you can't promise uh, no matter how good they are. You can't promise them that that they play on your team you're going to get them a college scholarship.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know. You know, and, you know, on the flip side too, sometimes there's just some really lovely actual people out there that are coaches and they're just not that great of coaches. They might just not know the sport as well as they need to at that level or whatever. I mean, there's some genuinely lovely people out there. Um, love, you know, you know, you know what I mean? They're just nice. And right. they just might right. not be they're, effective they're, coaching.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, it's a, I talk about in the book that it's it's a very hard thing to, it, it's a lot easier to play the sport than it is to coach a sport. You know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's times, there was a time I, I coached with a, a Cy Young winner, major league Cy Young winner, uh, you know, had had set a record of winning the games and uh, he he would come to me and he didn't even know how to, to like pick players where it was a professional team. And, and, and uh, he, he one time said to me, he said, you know, Joe, I, I know how to throw fastball and curveball but I don't know how to teach it. He said, uh, "I, my 12 year old, 10 year old, I tried working with him and I can't. He says, can you work with them? And I said, yeah. So parents have to understand that, that a lot of times um, it's a very hard thing to do to it, it. It's, it's kind of a born and learned thing that you to be able to take somebody and see their strengths and weaknesses and be able to, you know, have them improve and develop. Uh, it's a rare rare things when you think about how many NFL and NBA major league managers were fired the last three years. I write about that in the book and they're given, you know, drafting and, and giving some of the trading for some of the best players. And uh, they're not able to, to put it together. Uh, it, it's a difficult thing to do, but there is guys, you know, that are able to do it. Um, and when you do find that you, you really want to, you know, stay with, with them that, that uh, have the ability to look at strength and weaknesses, and, and it's about development, you know, mentally and physically, and, and developing character, you know, skills and life skills, you know, you're the best coaches, you know, as we, we hear John Wooden, and, and there's uh, many of these coaches, uh, Vince Lombardi that really instilled when you hear their players talk about them later on, they, they were like an uncle or stepdad to them.
0: Right. You know, I uh, sometimes I say, um, think about the best teacher you've ever had, and now think about the worst teacher you've ever had, and think about them each being your coach in the sport that you're playing. You know, and and right. think of it like that, because um, it really is hard to find people. I like that what you said to identify, develop, and then and then lead. The athlete is, uh, those are powerful things.
1: Um, Yeah, that's a very important thing that they should write. So the parents who are listening and athletes should write that down, uh, you know, and just have that on the fridge. Identify, develop and lead athletes is is what you're You're looking looking for. for. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I saw, you know, um, and I won't name names here, but I I recently came across a couple coach profiles um, and I saw one who said, I'm the greatest person to ever put the, this jersey on. That was a wow. coach profile. I'm like,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I want to play for you. And the other one I saw yeah. and it went on and on and on. That was just the tip of the tip of the bio. And the other one yeah. um, was a list of every single player that he's ever helped to the you know, just like collecting accolades, you know, every single player that he's helped go here or go there and the win record and the like collecting the stats under the coach. Yeah. And it was not, it wasn't about it's, it's so it's mind boggling to me because there's a lot of kids looking and and maybe they're the best coach ever. I don't know who they are. I just saw the bios and it was instantly a a flip of the switch to me like, ah,
1: because it wasn't
0: about anybody, but them
1: that's that's a very good point you know and, and when you ask about how do you find the the best coaches are the ones that understand that it's about the players and it's not about them you know we all
0: wow.
1: like to win and like to be competitive and you know i I don't you know I, we don't step on the field but at the end of the day you know I've played in all over and won national championships won awards i that's something else to look for in in coaches that a lot of times there's unfulfilled things and frustrations in coaches and then they start to want to they really become self self-centered and they want the accolades
0: <laughs> can you, and, you imagine playing they, for a coach who said i'm the well, yeah. why would you put a jersey on if you're the best one yeah. to ever put the jersey on why am i putting this on i don't get it
1: yeah yeah I, you the, the stuff Does i've heard over the years I've had, i had i had what i had one <laughs> guy tell me that his junior in high school he got cut and and his uh high school coach baseball high school coach called him in and cut him and he said you're an athlete you're not an athlete and you never will be one i went wow how, how do you crush a boy like that so thank thank goodness i was able to get a hold of him and uh you know i said you know we we're gonna get you to college and it, it may not be where you want to go but you know if you work harder in two years and then we're gonna we're gonna send him some tickets and tell him to come see if you're an athlete now. And he did. <laughs> <Sounds>
0: like- <laughs> Riffs in the pudding, huh? Um Yeah, yeah I so-
1: mean you, there's so many you can't crush somebody like that. That's there's there's stuff going on up there. I I just can't imagine how anybody could say something like that. But you know, they that it's just kinda the coaching sometimes is, is is learned behavior that they got from their father or their or their coaches beforehand. So Kind of dysfunctional thing that you know we all run into. We've never, all of us have never had a perfect functional life. We've had some dysfunction, but I think sometimes it, it comes out in the in the coaching uh, world of of the past learned behavior from their their coach or their their father.
0: Yeah. So I, okay, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit on you here and go to, sure. go to this multi sport idea because we've got multiple questions. Um, When people knew you were coming here, people have asked multiple questions here. Um, If you're a baseball player and your your whole goal is to get a baseball scholarship, you know you've got goals, dreams, whatever vision (laughs) that you've got in your head. Why do you? Why would you go and play? You know, soccer or football or basketball. Why would you derail that one track uh, mission?
1: You you would do that because of because of the overuse injuries that have that have been by these orthopedic surgeons you know, like Dr. James Andrews and others. Orthopedics have statistics that show playing one sport, you know, just one sport almost year round, increases your chances of injury by seventy percent. You also have a high chance of burnout, and you also are not cross-training and getting stronger drills like when I when I would play um, football you know the stretching that we did and the running that we did really kind of worked for baseball and basketball and then when I got into basketball doing a lot of the you know the crunchers and the cardio really helped come in the spring for my my physical strength plus my mental you know uh, uh, of getting away from it you know at the end of three months of football I was, I was tired. I was like, this, you know, I, I would yeah. love it at the beginning, but three months I'm like, I'm done with this game, you know? And then you go in, on to basketball and, and you, you're excited and then you play three months and you're like, who was baseball here yet? You know? <laughs> and, and so the, the, the the, end coaches, uh, including I, I talk about uh, you know, Vanderbilt uh, uh, baseball coaches, who's, who's, you know, the number one, they won two years ago they recruit two sport athletes over one sport athletes. And and Pete Carroll used to be the USC football coach said that he recruited two sport athletes, uh, players. He even pushed for athletes in college to play two sports, which in this day and age is very very rare to see that. Years ago, we used to have some of those extreme natural talent athletes who would play two, three sports like Dave Winfield in in some of these. But, um, you know, that is a really thing that the, the parents have to, to listen to those things because those statistics and what I just said as as I said about the NFL also that you know the 226 of the 250 all played more than one sport in youth and in high school
0: yeah yeah I I'm thinking about Cam playing soccer and that and um yeah that was that was quite something (laughs) to see Cameron play soccer (laughs) <laughs> and he will to this day roll his eyes. But he can't yeah, that's what Cam did too on his breaks. Um, not so much in high school because he was really busy academically and stuff, but I'm thinking back, he played basketball, soccer, baseball. Um, but yeah. soccer was, was soccer was a soccer was not his jam, um at all. Uh what about the exhaustion factor there with playing three sports is there any argument there that you know maybe you know that that you look at your child and go wow you are so extremely overscheduled and overworking your body and overusing everything uh is there any argument there
1: i think i think you know on what's happening now is that at the before the high school level is a lot of the Boys and girls are playing two sports at once. I even just heard last week a twelve year old. He's playing three sports right now at once, which at
0: once? which
1: is crazy. Possible? Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's a lot of them doing that at younger age. They're, they're they the parents feel that they need to be playing on this because the other ones are doing that for them.
0: They don't oh, want gosh. to get
1: behind, but that's totally affecting their their schoolwork, their homework, their physical exhaustion. They're they're going to put themselves chance of getting more injured so you should play other sports during the year but never play two sports at once and then you know take a little break during during the holidays or whatever and just you know not play for a couple of weeks but you should definitely not play two sports at once you know some guys i've been doing lessons would leave my instruction and go to go to like you know football or 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 uh you know soccer or lacrosse practice and they were just totally exhausted and and you know, in in this case I remember the one left going to football in the spring. They had full pad spring football practice after they had played in the winter and and uh he played in high school and that was it. He he did, he was done. He he played baseball and but he should have he was one of the top pitchers in the state of Arizona when he was eleven and uh he just got he burnt out and overuse. He did get some elbow issues which he fought through after his 12 year old year. Um, but in high school he was, he was very good player, but he told his dad, I'm done, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it, you're seeing that a lot. It's just, uh, because this guy was just, he played baseball more than anything, but he, he, he shouldn't have been playing, you know, two sports at once like that, that, this, this generation is, this parents seemed, you know, that's a big thing. I would really stress parents and listeners is, is don't have them play two sports at once, at
0: one time. Seems excessive. I know when I was, um, I was thinking back to the, the cross-training elements of different sports, because I was a gymnast at right. the age of three. And what they used to do to, to help us with, you know, developmentally as a gymnast was they would place you in ballet, tap, jazz to kind of complement everything mm-hmm. and stretch different muscles and so forth. But I really right. feel you when the ballet class was over, I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> not a ballerina. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And you do, you do figure that out later on. It's not something, but you want to give your boy or girl, you know, chances to play sports, you know, that, that they, you know, seem to enjoy
0: yeah.
1: having fun and, and they're developing um, you know, and kind of, you know, guiding him in, in that realm and instead of getting, you know, caught up in trying to specialize at, at you know, a lot of times now at, you know, at eight, seven, eight year old, they have these tournament teams in almost all sports and, you know, you, you shouldn't be traveling around and playing a tournament team and having gone every weekend when you're seven, eight years old, you know. Oh,
0: come on. Isn't the MLB there watching?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's the chances of them ever making it to the MLB <laughs> are maybe a one in a million when you do, when you do that, you know, it, it just, it just doesn't work that way in trying to get that, that contract and that signing bonus, you know, it, it, it does. the other thing is yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, 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 uh, I, when I remember the 12 year old group that made it to the, on ESPN that I was talking about played Hawaii in the semifinals at San Bernardino, California, a lot of the parents were like, um, they changed the lineup so some parents weren't upset that their son wasn't going to get to be on ESPN. And, and I, I said to him, look, I'll promise you that there's nobody here right now in six years will remember that your son did or did not play on ESPN. And exactly right. Cause that was the group that Walker had played against. And, and uh, I think it was two or three of them went on and, and played in, in college and the rest never played after high school. Some didn't even play in high school cause they, Went and played on tournament teams and, and you know mm-hmm. stopped playing when they were 15, 16 or got cut.
0: Yeah, so let's go back to this mentor thing because um, yeah. in I believe really wholeheartedly, like one of my mentors, um, I I consider you a mentor for me because you've you've placed networking opportunities in front of me like i i well, you. think you're on the lookout for for everyone a lot of the times you connect those dots and one of my mentors is Sally Huss and i'm so grateful yes. that i know her because of you can you talk about <laughs> the importance of paying attention to older people and i'm going to say it just yes. like that <laughs> yeah
1: i i think it's a very uh important thing to really listen and learn from from uh, somebody like sally that has incredible amount of life experiences and and talent as a tennis player and and as an artist and as a children's illustrator books that that just i remember the first time you know seeing her painting at in la Jolla on the sidewalk and just the 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 the, the gift that she had of in her paintings just exuded passion and love and then going into a gallery and and I could just feel, she didn't even tell me at that time when we, when we first, that she was a tennis, ex-Welmonton tennis champion. And, and But I knew there was something where we connected that, that was really unique about her. And I think it's it's very important. I, I can't stress enough to, for parents and the boys and girls to be open-minded and, and be very wanting to learn and, and from these people like Sally and, and people that have been down the path of life and have a lot of, of, of great wisdom and experiences that, you know, are priceless that, that you can learn from, and you don't have to go down that path.
0: Make mistakes. And, and have,
1: yeah. And, and, you know, I say, you know, I, I want the the athletes to, to have a great develop life developing experiences and, and go down that path and have, have great life and find that, you know, that what they want rather than having, many of them go down that untraveled path and don't have a mentor or they're not listening and they and then they find out at the end of that path there was a landmine yeah. and, and their life has negatively been affected and, and we really want to help we we don't want sports to have a negative impact in a life it it had a positive impact in my life and I, and I know cam has had some and, and there's been many many that that will tell you they had positive life there's too many that I saw that are not having positive life developing yeah. experiences I have friends, and I have friends
0: with kids who play and they're just like, what are, what are there? I have friends whose kids who, who play and the stories of the playing experience at college makes me want to cry because it's a, their moments. I don't know if everybody always realizes that you can't get the moments back. So how you spend your right. moments in the, in the moments really super matters. And it's, I don't know if people pause enough to really, like if I don't think a coach, I don't think sometimes coaches go, you know, I'm going to ensure all 50 people on this team have a great college experience, you know, or right. anything like, I don't know if they have time for that.
1: No, uh, you're right. You hit on something very important that I think that it goes, life goes by so fast. And, and as as parents, you your son and daughter, next thing you know, you blink. So you really want to you know enjoy those times with them and support them to a point you know and in, in trying to guide them and that's where the ones that I've been able to help to go on to be successful in high school college and professionally are the ones where the the the, the player was really coachable and really was respectful he wanted to learn and the parents I had to do a lot of of you know mentoring and guiding cuz you know not every game is going to be, you're going to get to play, you know, so a lot of what I did was also mentoring the parents because sometimes they get more frustrated when the child's younger than the child does because the child doesn't really see it, you know, and I've heard that from parents. They're like, you know, I, I think I get more upset than, you know, my son does. And I said, no, no, I said, what you have to remember is they're just holding it in. And that's another good thing I want to address is that I've had players now that are older that have come back to me. And now have had things that they saw of having too many on a team, you know, twenty on a team, and and they were being taken advantage of. That they now have, you know, some deep wounds that they their parents thought that, that really didn't affect them, but it did. These these uh, boys and girls are brilliant these days, and they pick up on things real quickly. They just don't say anything. They they hold those in, and those they need to communicate things to their parents so that they don't have that at the end you know the one thing that i i really hate hearing is when they're like you know you know i wish i wouldn't have quit you know i wish i'd have kept playing and that's where if any of the listeners out there do, do not quit please if your son or daughter saying they want to quit you know just you know i'll give my email at the end and send an email and and you know we we will do anything we can because um i've heard too many parents and now getting players coming back there in college saying you know i wish i would have kept playing i wish i would have listened you know and i I wish you know we would have stayed with you and you know had you do more coaching with us because a lot of times when they beer on these tournament teams if another bad sign of a coach is if a coach is is not letting your son or daughter go do instruction with somebody else and tell them that they need to do instruction with you. That's a red flag. That That's yeah. controlling, and that's, that's, that's insecuring, and, and you shouldn't uh, allow that. That's a common thing that goes on that I saw is, is that they like to have these tournament teams, but the coaches don't understand that it's not about them, and they, don't, they worry about getting overshadowed. They, they don't want to have somebody show them up which realistically is, is a red flag because then it's about them, and the parents feel like they're stuck and they need to find another team. If they're if they're having success working with somebody or a coach and this team they're playing on says you 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 cannot go have instruction with them, that immediately should they they should say hey, they're going to go to that coach and because the parents should be controlling the destiny rather than the coach somewhat in that case.
0: You know, we can't cover every scenario here um, because yes. we're, we're the best ever you show and we've got about an hour or so, but I am gonna tell everybody the name of your book again, then I've got a couple more questions here. So um, we're talking live with Joe Spurley, The athlete, he's the author of The Athlete's Guide to Success, A Roadmap to Becoming a Champion. And at the end of the show, we're gonna hear all about how Joe founded the Freedom Pro Baseball minor league in Phoenix, Arizona too. So Joe, be prepared to talk about that, but a couple more mm-hmm. scenarios for you here. Um, can you talk of two things and, and if you want to do both, please do, but, um, I want to talk about horrendous team behavior off the field and how that affects on field play. And then I also would love to talk about another scenario of parents living vicariously through their children. (laughs) Which Mm -hmm. one do you like those topics or would you like to talk? Yeah, I, I, I
1: I think I I have a chapter in that, that I write, you know, in, in chapter six is, you know, things for parents, um, you know, to understand about their, their child playing sports and, and to not live vicariously, uh, you know, through your unfulfilled playing days that, you know, many parents had, had played sports. So that does put pressure on, and the and the son and the daughter see that so much, and they can feel that. I remember times doing instruction, and the dad or mom would come up and start to watch a little, and, and the the boy would completely change because he was feeling pressure um, from, from the parent that, um, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. They, they, they know if you're, they're so wise, they know if you're living through them and the chances of them ever going, you know, past where you went are slim because of that. So it's best just to let that go and enjoy the great days of watching them on the field and just, you know, just win or lose you know, off the field just just you know be thankful for that great day and and just go if they want to go eat and just don't mention anything about the game a lot of parents you know will bring up things in the in the car on the ride you know about what they did you know they didn't get a hit or they did this wrong and you know don't talk about that at all just let it all go and if the child brings it up the boy or the girl something about the game then then you can start to talk but I think it's best just to really, you know, let them have fun and not feel pressure and that you're living through them. The other part about, you know, off the field, you know, actions and and disrespecting uh, people and, and, you know, no gratitude. You know, I think two very important traits that, that uh, are really lacking. We need to see more gratitude in our use and more respect. And when you're not doing those two things, you, you're only hurting yourself, and you're never going to be able to advance to where you should be with that type of mi- mindset. You should you should always respect and, and give gratitude for for people that have done things for you, no matter what it is, coaches, parents, uncles, aunts, yeah. anything, and 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 never be that cancer person that you see that where where they get upset and they start thinking boys like to sometimes be funny and they'll make a comment and the other boy will laugh. And then then it gets very contagious and it it hurts the morale of the team. And, you know, an athlete that sees that should put a stop to that and be a leader and say that's not what we do when we're off the field or on the field. We, We have the same type of attitude and character and integrity that we need to show when we're on the field because, um, it is it is two very important things, and I know you you talk a lot about gratitude, and I think yeah. there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there that you I have studied it also, and and there's proven studies that if you do not have gratitude, the chances of you ever having a fulfilled good life and doing what you love to do, passion wise, is is very rare.
0: Yeah, there's a difference between ambition and like a, a conscious ambition. I think, and one is gratitude right. based the other thing too is what about what about this idea of you know having a clean and sober and drug free you know season or um, what what is with the substance abuse I'm going to call it for lack of a probably yep. maybe a better term maybe you can fix that if it needs to be fixed um, yep. with teams in college and so forth how how can teams the right. in-season drinking and um, where is the monitoring of the drug use and pot use and juuling right. and all this stuff? How is that? I, I have a couple questions. So this is going to, I'm putting my mom hat on for a minute here and mm-hmm. my best ever mm-hmm. you hat combined. <laughs> Sorry, but how is mm-hmm. it, how does your body function properly as a college athlete with all that crap in it?
1: Right. So it's, it's a very good very good question. I think, you know, um, one of the things that that kind of is a sign of, you know, our times now. With
0: now?
1: yeah, a lot of the a lot of the the, the studies in, of COVID now and and uh, the things, the depression and and the teenage groups and things, it's kind of been a, a thing where it's it's a coping mechanism that a lot of boys and girls are using for you know some you know childhood dysfunctional trauma um you know not having you know something some some good parental leadership there and going down a path of of seeing that this alcohol or drug kind of takes them out of that that pain and that that numbness and then it becomes an addiction and and they're not even aware of it um and they're using it to actually start, you know, to, to compete, to help with their, um, you know, their emotions and their nervousness. Um, so I, I, I think it is more, as you mentioned, prevalent than ever, but it has to be, it's a tough thing to monitor as a coach because when they start to get into college and professionally, you know, a lot of them are 21 and, and it's very tough to, you know, you have to, if you're, if you're on the road, you have to definitely do, you know, bed checks in a hotel and you have to, you know, um, monitor them. But I, th- I think that there needs to be more uh, drug testing in the, in the colleges. You know, we'll talk a little bit about the Freedom League and I, I was, uh, you know, had issues with players, um, you know, with marijuana, but it is a very, it's a, it's a very tough thing right now and I think there's more than we actually know it and it's something in them usually that has led them to that point of using the alcohol or drug as a coping mechanism and of course just wanting to have fun and party and let everything go um, and not think about anything and and, uh, you know in the college age that's that's been going on for years but I think more of the there's just more drug uh, opioid use that that is is is. It hooks them that we never had when we were younger. That these these opioids that that are basically were painkillers, you know, back in it used to be Darvon and and there was Valium things. Now the similar type drug, but they put these euphoria um, type drugs, and besides the pain killing, which which hooks the the boy or girl or young man and young woman taking it to where their their body they they it, they then need it because it gives them a great Um, you know uplifting feeling that they were never able to to have so it's a it's a big problem I think in the drug companies have have put these type of euphoria um, you know mental states into the drugs that that creates the uh, the high addiction rate that we have And and uh, you know I think there's a high marijuana usage right now too also that that realistically if you do studies on marijuana the it, it slows down your reflexes you become you know lopy. you eat you eat a lot it, it it it's not helping where or a lot of some think well it's better than drinking alcohol but when you really do studies on it it, it does a, a major effect on your synapses your brain your your reflexes you know everything that i think a lot of them aren't aware of and it, and it, it helps them cope with day-to-day things because i think a lot of athletes with the pressure they have and, you know, each individual life that they've led, they've led, um, have had, you know, some things that are deep wounds that, that, uh, they don't ever get healed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, so thank you. Thank you for that. Just touching on that. Cause I, I know we had that come in as a question and then, um, I guess two final things. Uh, we have a question about player attitude. Um, <laughs> I this one came in a few days ago with someone who knew that you were going to be on the show and they were they were trying to I don't know how to I'm not going to ask this exactly the way it was asked but so I'm going to rephrase it and have you help here a little bit but they were they were asking about why um, What's with the ego in players and how do you how do you how do you spot that a player who's in it for like ego and and all this stuff versus a player who's in it for for the for genuine I guess is the yeah way. that's
1: that's a very good question yeah I think I, I think one of the things that it starts to show on the ego side is that they really start to to uh, make comments and show things that it's really about them and they really don't care about their teammates in their um their team uh you know I had one guy I had a guy was pitching a no-hitter in the freedom league and and um came in the dugout and some of the guys were not paying attention. And, uh, um, I said, you know, guys, let's focus here on I mean, he's, he's got a great game. No hitter. And one of the, one of the guys said, I don't care. And, and boy, yeah. that I, I, I had a, a quite the talk with him afterwards about, about that. Cause, um, I could see him starting to veer that way, but he let out, you know, that. So it is something that somewhat is, is, is come from, you know, learned behavior of television and, you know, um, internet and, and watching, you know, um, NBA, NFL. You know, uh, Major League Baseball players. Some of them, you know, they, they they start to think that they're bigger than the game, and that's that's some of the reasons why a lot of the good colleges and professional teams don't have your last name on your back because you're not playing for your your name. You're playing for the team and the and the, the name that's on the front of the jersey. And I think that that's really needs to be instilled. And understand that this is you know not about totally about you it's about this team or it's about the school that you're representing or the 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 professional team you're representing that that you're not bigger than the game and you have to make sure as a coach to stop that um and sometimes they they don't i've had to where i had to release some because they just don't listen it's it's like you know, you're not going to get through to him. And I could see why the Colorado in this instance, I'm thinking of why the Colorado Rockies released him after two years when he, when he had the skills, um, he was a prime example of that. It, it was ego. And it was about him. And he, he would change for a little bit on the stuff that I would show him. Cause he always made, made, uh, try to make flashy plays at shortstop, but he would always make bad throws that would really hurt the pitcher at the time and the team during the end of the game. So, um, it's something that I think is a lot of, of learned behavior that really has to be, be um, stopped at a young age, because I think sometimes parents let that go and you, you have to, uh, you know, stop that. I remember one player, one of the first ones I worked with, he was starting to do really good and uh, he was getting to the point where he was getting that testosterone and that male macho and, and he was, you know, dad was kind of living through him and, and he, I was coaching, a, a getting ready for high school. We did a little team in the fall, and he, he hit a ball uh, that, that, you know, went, went and didn't go out, and then he stopped at third, and I was coaching third. And, and uh, he said, I knew it wasn't going to go out. And I said, you're not Babe Ruth. And, <laughs> and he, <laughs> you know, Babe Ruth pointed to when he was going to hit a home run. Yeah. And, and so I had to really cut, you know, kind of cut him down and get him to realize, and I also had to talk with his parents that, you know we need to get a hold of him cuz his his ego and I'm not going to coach anybody no matter as much as I I've spent time with him and think he's a great he's going to be a great young man um but we need to get that under control and and I had sentence. a meeting with parents and
0: <laughs> sentence
1: removed <yep>. yeah sentence, <laughs> sentence removed cuz you- he he did the same thing the other thing that was interesting I I had to um he was doing similar things at shortstop he was he was trying to you know make flashy plays and 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 uh making bad throws but you know trying to be real you know like you know highlight real plays and and but he couldn't he wasn't that good to make those plays so he made he made one one time and I and I said where did you learn to to do that he said Derek he said uh, uh Derek Jeter and I said <laughs> He said, "I'm gonna be." He said, "I'm gonna be better than Derek Jeter." I said, "You will never be better than Derek Jeter." <laughs> I had to, you know, I had to cut him down because <laughs> there's no way. I mean, Derek Jeter, if anybody knows the York Yankees, you know, only got to hit three thousand. He used to make incredible plays, and I know guys that coached him, and he put am- immense amount of hours into to getting where he was. Plus, he was amazingly, you know, gifted, gifted and talented. But at the, and then his dad came to me afterwards and said, "Why did you say that to him?" I said, "I said, Gary." we We can't let him go with that attitude you you've been beefing him up and you've been pumping him up so much i I had to chop him down because I had to be truthful with him when you haven't been truthful that you know he he's definitely going to go on and play college, but he is not going to be better than Derek jeter you know yeah, yeah. truthful, but truthful it was
0: interesting, yeah.
1: To, yeah you know we had to. we can't let that ego go because he was out that age where he just he he actually thought it in his mind because of what was his playing and what his parents were telling him and others that he was going to be better than Derek Jeter he actually thought he was yeah yeah,
0: yeah. I get it um yeah <laughs> do you <laughs> do you want to talk okay two more things I keep saying that but I'm going to keep you a little bit more here um
1: that's okay what about what I'll, I'll about the you
0: what about the feeling it, it, you're on a team, let's say, and you, and you are, you haven't played, you, you just are not playing, not at all. And you're like, well, why did I come to this college? I haven't played at all. Um, how do you right. find your value in that circumstance?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good question. It's very thought hard. You you going to
0: play, I, but you're not.
1: Yeah, I, I just had a, a player that, that went through that, that i that I want to share, kind of try and get the short version of it. He, he was referred to me. He was a player out of Tucson, Arizona was an all-star high school player, and then got recruited to go to Trinity um, in San Antonio and play. And, and his freshman year, he, he didn't hardly get to play at all. And there was about three guys in that team that I had actually worked with individually, you know, before him um, in, when they were little league and maybe middle school. And then um, his mom and his himself was really, and dad were frustrated that they wanted to transfer schools, and he was going to pre-med, and he, he really was, I knew from the first time I did instruction, he was, he really had a, a very good intelligence, he absorbed a lot of things, he was very astute, and everything I showed him, he picked up on well, he ended up that, that summer, similar to Walker, I got him on a, a summer collegiate team and he and he did well. And then a sophomore year, he went back and he didn't hardly get to play. And they won the Division III National Championship. So his mom was really upset that, you know, he, the coach would put him in and then he'd get a couple of hits, you know, or score a winning run in a, like a four-game series, he'd get to play. And then all of a sudden, he wouldn't play him. And, and it's it's just some things that are so difficult as as a athlete and as a parent to really sit back And in this case, um, you know, we just kept, you know, being, getting better, improving, keep working on things, which is very hard to do, you know, when you get kind of shown by the coach that they really don't have the use for you other than a certain spot. It's a very difficult thing, but... I think in this case it, it worked out for him to stay at the school. Now every case is different. I think you have to really come to a point early on. You should see signs, parents, uh, in their freshman year that there's there's things there that you can see that just aren't going to change. You know, there, there's yeah. a there's a lot of coaches, that, you know, that won't change. You know, they all saying you, you you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, so when you initially, parents, you see this is in, in their first year start to, you know, make some calls or, you know, you can reach out, reach, send me emails, email, start to do things. But in this, in this guy's case, it worked for him that I, I kept the parents and him going um, positively and not quitting and, you know, just, you know, wanting to, to keep playing baseball because he had a passion um, and he, he ended up finally a senior year. He got to play and then, uh, he said, uh, and that's something for the parents also that I said to him is that, you know, you've got plenty of years to work. You know, parents sometimes they're like, well, we want to get them a job and get them off our payroll or get them off our, you know, but they should they should have, they got plenty of time to work if they really have the passion and they have, you know, the talent. And in this case, he, he really worked hard and he, did, he could really hit that. I really mentored him and, and, and instilled things in him to keep going and then helped him. Um, fulfill that um, by really only playing a senior year. He last two weeks ago, he got, he got two minor league independent wow. league offers, which was incredible uh, with not even going to the tryouts. And a lot of times you have to go and they want to see you physically, but from things he was, he was a great example of working hard and listening and learning to things I was telling him to do. And then I even mentored him what to say when he was calling these general managers And for him to get two offers of a contract without even, you know, not being a major league, you know, minor league affiliated player and not having much college playing time. uh, It was a great, you know, uh, story that he's going to, it's going to change his life forever. He's leaving on Sunday to, to the United shore uh, professional league up by Detroit. But for, in his case, it, it, it was, it worked that he, he stayed there um, uh, at the time, but I think, um, it, it's something that you have to have somebody talking with you and helping you and, and you know mentoring you and also weighing things out all your options. You know, at, at the freshman year, at the end of freshman year, things don't feel right. You need to start really looking at your options and and you know finding people that that can open doors and have some relationships and understand can make calls because a lot of times for the parents it's hard to do. So you need yeah. to find somebody that that can can do that because the worst thing you can do is stay there and be you know be, be held back because that you know you don't want to be under somebody's thumb and I think that does happen a lot of those
0: yeah okay so now we're going to talk about the Freedom Pro Baseball League. We'll finish up our show with this because you you really have you've done something remarkable and um, I just I would just love for you to tell us about what what you did there with the with the baseball league and why you did that too.
1: Yeah, it was it was a it was something that um, you know from all the years of, of playing and then you know being around, um, seeing that there was a need um, for opportunity and development after college. You know, I always wanted the guys when I when I saw the vision. You know, I, one of the first things that I saw years ago was the St. Saint Paul Saints, and, and I was involved with them, and then the Fargo Moorhead Red Hawks, and in was really it started to set in my mind of things that I could do that would change the game and bring it back like it used to be and then give opportunities for players and coaches and even even staff and then develop and have that chance to go on and be signed by a major league team so it was a whole vision I had from the time you know I was I was younger till you know playing playing through things and seeing things that um, a lot of times they just a person just needs an opportunity and a a door to open so it was a huge undertaking that that um actually I was just going to do we were just going to do one team in in a league that was operating independently that was operating for quite a while and uh they had teams in the U.S. Canada and Mexico and and then I started to see things that they weren't doing ethically and they weren't uh um, really, they were taking advantage of guys that wanted to own teams and didn't see the flaws that I had and were bringing back guys that were ex-Major League guys um, that were troublemakers like Jose Canseco and, you know, some of those, they were bringing them back to manage and play, they would they would play also. and, and So I, I, st- I started to put it all together and saw that we had these great stadiums, you know, Phoenix, with that Major League stadiums that are set vacant after the Giants, A's, Mariners, and Padres, and Indians – you know, all leave in April, and so I started to put put it all together, about two years of just meeting to get to some of those stadiums and, and then we launched uh, the, the press release once I got the lease signed at Scottsdale Stadium and and the guy that was running this other league had sent out a schedule to the other teams in the, in the team in Edmonton um, uh, Oilers, who had a good, successful uh, organization and also on the Edmonton Oilers hockey team. They saw the press release of so the Freedom League starting up in they then figured out that, you know, uh, the, the guys that they're involved with and they, they, they pulled out of the league. And before we even played a game though, that whole unethical, uh, league folded. So it was pretty amazing of how we, before oh. even playing the game, I knew the guy even called me and asked if I wanted to get in, he'd let me in with no franchise fee. And I said, no, we're okay. We're going to do this, you know, the way that we feel is right. And, uh, so it was, it was a lot of great, I mean, Times you know of, of players that that just, I mean, one that I, I you know I always like to share great stories of, of one that that uh, was was worth all the hours of, that it, it took to put into it and in, in the years is a uh, there are probably some listeners have heard of the movie Moneyball. And there's a book Moneyball. It was it was, it was done. Billy being the Oakland A's had come up with a concept and hired Harvard statisticians to keep the payroll low and, and select the best players that will play for less uh, salary and one of his picks second round pick was a guy by the name of Steve Stanley He went to Notre Dame and, and uh, he had called him and said you know if you if you want to be a second round pick you know we'd love to we think you're what we, we want to put in you know in, in, he's in the book Moneyball and in the movie when Brad Pitt talked to Theo Epstein he, he said we'll trade you Steve Stanley so he's mentioned in both both the movie and the book and then uh, he said yeah of course you know and, and took less and, and then was uh, got married and had a daughter and then was on the road and worked his way up to AAA in Sacramento and and they wanted him to change and and be a home run hitter and he's he's five foot eight and 160 and he he was drafted and he played and was his strong point was just to be able to you know hit and get on base and he was a good defensive player so so he was getting frustrated and they demoted him to AA and he asked for his release he didn't see a thing. so he started an insurance business in Scottsdale and and then. Uh, About five years later, after he had three daughters now, uh, he felt that that God was leading him to to make a comeback, and he called up uh, Keith Lippman, Oakland A's minor league player development, who I just was there like a week before, and told Keith after spring training that year, if they have any players that they release, which they do every spring, to if they have, you know, want to continue their career, to have them call me, so he called. He called up Keith and he said, "Keith, do you think you have room for a 29-year-old center fielder?" And he said, "Ah, Steve, I don't think so." <laughs> but to call me because I was putting together the Freedom, you know, Minority independent league. So he called me. I didn't know him at that at this time. But then we he left a message and. And had a conversation with him, and I had him come out to Trout. He didn't even have Elizabeth. He didn't even have a glove. He gave it all away. He signed it. Gave it all away. He had nothing. And he shows up with a ball glove and he bought some bad gloves. And he could still had some play. He could play. So I sat him down. And most of the guys that I was looking at signing were going to be right out of college. I wanted 22, 23, to 24, and he was 29, 30 then, and and really was a good you know type captain. So I said, how about if you be the captain? and then a chaplain and, and do services on Sunday. said so That's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to do with the A's, but they wouldn't let me. So he ended up just really doing well. And now his three daughters and his wife got to come to every game. And they were, they, when we traveled a little bit up to Prescott, they would come up there and they just, so we did the kid caster. Then, you know, they have kids get up there and, and his nine-year-old now is doing a kid caster. And they usually give him three outs at the end of the three outs, um, uh, <laughs> She at the end of the three outs, she goes, "Oh, dang! My dad didn't do it too bad. Oh, sorry, folks. And she didn't know she had the speaker on. She said, "Come back tomorrow night. Have a good night." <laughs> so, so I was I was just laughing at third base, thinking this is great. So I went down and I called my staff and I and and I said, "Tomorrow night, have her do the kid cast where dad bats." So next night she gets up there and her dad comes walking up the plate. And she just, I mean, it was just I wish I had it on video. She's like, now batting number five, my dad, Steve Stanley. <laughs> Steve was laughing so hard. He couldn't even hit it was but he was so, he was laughing, looking up in the press box. And I was, I was just standing there a third base coach and oh, thinking, you oh, know, all this was, was just a great, one of those great stories that, that we had. And he, he was just a model player and, and ended up, uh, Got to see every every game, and then a teammate of his was, was running a team in Wichita and called me and saw he'd been hitting 300 and wanted to know if we'd, he'd love to have him at the league ending for their tournament, and it would be a little, little reunite with him being a teammate. So I said, absolutely. So they all three, all four of them, uh, three girls and his wife and him, jumped in the car and drove from Phoenix all the way to Wichita straight through, and... and wow played in the league inning championship and ended up uh, going all the way up to Winnipeg and, and one got into the league championship with that, that, league. So he said, I had him do some video for a documentary work on. He said that that year was the most fun he's had ever in, in playing all those years of baseball. And I thought, you know, that, that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring back the game the way it used to be for love of the game. The families get to come to the game. You know, you're not on the road traveling so much. We, we kept, uh, we, we, from a lot of things I learned that weren't good about the game, we we brought back the great part of the game.
0: Yep, the heart, the heart is in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, um, yeah. okay, so I've kept you way over, but it's been such a lovely conversation. That's okay. We do have to go now, though, but yeah. I, um, thank you for being here with us on the Best Ever You Show. Thank you for all your wisdom, um, thank you for su- such a wonderful book, and, uh, I think, I think everybody will enjoy this show, so, um, Thank you
1: for being here. And it's Joe Spoon. Yes, I, I really. <laughs> Sorry. Right. I was just going to add that. And I really appreciate it. It's been, you know, really great to, you know, to be on your show. I know you, you guys have, have really have uh, done a lot of things, have a heart and passion to get the, you know, as your best ever you. So, you yeah. know, people can go on my website and there's my emails on there and, and send me any questions, anything, you know, for me, the more. I think the world is a lot better, Elizabeth, if we can have our boys and girls and young men and young women continue to play and have positive life developing experiences and uh, do not, you know, let that stop from a bad situation.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for being here and thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you tuned in. Be brave, be bold, be you, and remember to visit us at besteveru.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.